Hello, hello, and welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron White, as usual, and you are listening to FF+. This is your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. I've got one new release in the theater to talk about, and also some home media. We'll kick things off right away with the latter. I want to say thank you to Paramount Pictures for providing me a review copy of their new Transformers 4K 6 movie steelbook collection. This thing is awesome. It includes the films Transformers, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Transformers Age of Extinction, Transformers The Last Night, and Bumblebee. They're all in 4K Ultra HD, and each film is individually packaged in its own separate steelbook, both with the 4K disc and a Blu-ray disc, both of which all contain the original legacy bonus content and special features. And all six of these steelbooks come in a gorgeous box. Uh, just This case looks amazing. I like the artwork on it. It's not overly busy and loud, but yet it obviously says this is Transformers. And it has a magnetic slipcase to it. And it also comes with a really cool collectible Transformers decal, a decent size as well, I would say. And then digital copies of all of the films. I'm a big fan of this set. I'll be honest, I usually get these physical media versions to review because I want to tell you about the special features. I think it's pretty much a given that it's going to look great. It does. It looks fantastic. Michael Bay has a, a phenomenal visual style. And if you enjoy these films in any capacity and you're not turned off by the manicness of the way that the robots work in the action by being so large, you're going to really enjoy the 4K presentation of this. The sound, man, it's awesome. It's booming. It's loud. I had a phenomenal time just turning it really high up and letting the surround go to work. And then, as I said, I think that this case just looks outstanding. The one drawback to it is that because of this slip cover, it does close off the frontal view where you would see each individual movie's title on the spine. So if this is in your shelf, it's not going to have any sort of identifying feature to tell you it's the Transformers collection. It's just going to be like a really wide gray piece of spine. So keep that in mind. But, you know, maybe you just take them out of the box and you put them up there as their individual steelbook cases, which look fantastic. It's got a really cool, almost like neon-y color palette to the different steelbook cases. It's really eye-popping with its pinks and yellows and blues. I think that they are very striking and look great. Now, I did rewatch through the entire series, both to go through these and enjoy their new 4K discs, as well as to get caught up before the upcoming Transformers Rise of the Beasts. And I thought I'd take this opportunity to kind of just briefly talk through my feelings on the franchise as a whole. So I actually really enjoy these movies. The Transformers, the original film, I find mostly enjoyable despite the fact that I never formed a connection 
to the human characters in the film series. I just don't think that the Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox characters are ones that get me invested emotionally or develop in a way that I feel many of Michael Bay's characters in his other films have. The loud, frantic, and kinetic action, the Transformers themselves, the technical elements, I think all of these are outstanding, though. And so it's never been something that held me back from having a blast with this. The original Transformers, it still feels to me like a rewatchable music video that is doubling as a toy commercial. And it worked because it set up this incredible universe of storytelling that I got quite into. I really think that the lore here kept me invested in wanting to know what was going to be the story of each of the next films down the line because I didn't watch a ton of Transformers cartoons growing up. And so I was interested to find out what new Transformers and Decepticons existed and what their past was like. So even though I think that all of these films have some problems and there hasn't been a truly great Transformers film yet, I think that they all also have some enjoyable aspects and Transformers 1 is definitely higher up on the totem pole. I'll save my ranking of the series for the end of this. All right, I'll keep going real quick through these. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. I'll try to speed this up. The humor and the problematic bots in this one, they're insufferable. They are unacceptable at times. And I also hate Sam's parents. Anytime that they are part of a scene, it just makes me cringe. But the final battle, the Battle of Egypt, the final action scene in this particular film, it is incredibly lengthy, but it feels like this chaotic, metallic blast of action. And it has a couple of really strong, big emotional beats that affected me as well. Plus, it's got a moment for the U.S. Navy to shine. So, you know, as a sailor and vet myself, I've got to give that some props. Narratively, it is a mess, but it also does have the benefit of introducing a really cool new Transformer named Jetfire, who, despite the dumb fart jokes, is a pretty awesome inclusion. He's this heroic, cranky, elderly SR-71 Blackbird and a total badass. So I have parts of this that I like, and it pretty much revolves around the final third or so of the film that is just the Battle of Egypt. Transformers Dark of the Moon, things really start to pick up here. This is Bayhem at its peak in the universe. The first third or so of this movie has some of the franchise's unfortunate, ridiculous humor and unnecessary character stupidity, but there is a big heel turn that occurs. And from that point on, this turns into about an hour and a half long climax of just visual spectacle and emotional hoorah moments the kind that bay is so so good at crafting i also thought that rosie alice huntington whiteley is an upgrade over the glistening bronze plasticity of megan fox and it's not megan fox's fault of course that's how bay chose to shoot her but i i thought that he kind of reined in that just a little bit and we get a sexy female character who is not quite 
as sexualized as the previous heroines have been. It's still a confusing movie in its early stages, but it's a really cool sci-fi plot, and it absolutely raises the stakes from what we had seen in the first two films. Fourth movie, Transformers Age of Extinction. I actually did not like this the first time I saw it, but on this rewatch, I found it to be really good. It lacks the charm of the original Autobots, since so many of them are not in this, and the set pieces... They don't feel quite as dazzling and inventive and spectacular as they did previously. And I think that because of that, you tend to really feel the length of this one. These movies just got longer and longer as they went on. But this entry earned big points for me by ditching the sophomoric humor almost entirely to really become the most serious and tonally consistent serious movie of the series. and. The story itself of this particular entry is really an old school sci-fi idea. The story about the hubris of humans thinking that they can create and use this alien technology better than the aliens themselves. There's an emotionally effective father-daughter-boyfriend relationship triangle. Stanley Tucci is in this movie, which is always a positive, and he gets to go a little crazy, which is fantastic. There are dinosaur transformers. I mean, that alone gets this movie to like two and a half stars. And then there's some really good, strong Optimus Prime leadership moments. I thought this was a damn good time, to be honest. It manages to be pretty self-aware as well. And at one point, Mark Wahlberg's character even specifically says, I'm asking you to look at the junk and see the treasure, which to me is Michael Bay telling us, hey, listen, I know this is popcorn entertainment. And I know that it's not a perfect blockbuster in the way that some of you need things to be. But there's a reason that people are coming out to these movies. There's a reason that this franchise is making billions of dollars. And just accept it for what it is and enjoy it. And frankly, I did. But then we got to Transformers The Last Night, in which he takes a ginormous step backwards after... Watching all the other four leading up to this in such a close back-to-back kind of capacity, I was even more disappointed in this than I was the first time. It is terrible. It has a completely incoherent story. The characters, the dialogue, nothing really makes sense. It looks good. It has some interesting visual ideas. But I just couldn't find this anywhere near remotely smart or interesting enough or with characters that I cared about to make it respectable. The lore had been very interesting up until this point. I was locked in and wanting to know more and I felt like this movie just went completely off the rails. And then we get to Bumblebee, the most recent Transformers film directed by Travis Knight. This one, I liked it a lot when it came out because it felt like a throwback to the classic 80s adventure film. And I believe I was, at the time, just energized by a difference to the Transformers series, something new that wasn't the same tonally as what Bay had been giving us. After my rewatch, I think that it's still cute and it's fun to get that 80s vibe. I like the relationship between Haley Steinfeld's character and Bumblebee. But frankly, I found myself missing what Michael Bay had brought to the table. That 
style and the more serious tone that he was able to achieve sometimes in his storytelling. I just think that this movie is a little bit lacking in that, and it's a little too light. It's too slight for me and doesn't quite move the needle in the way that some of the ones with these massive sprawling battles ended up doing. That is my quick thoughts on the whole series. I personally am glad that I picked this up. My ranking of the Transformers series going into Rise of the Beasts is number one, Transformers Dark of the Moon. Number two, Transformers. Number three, Transformers Age of Extinction. I like all of those a lot. Then we have Bumblebee. And then we have Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, which I like both of those more than I don't. And then we have Transformers The Last Night, which doesn't need to exist. And I wish we could just kind of wipe it out of the canon completely. So yeah, if you want to revisit these films, I would say if you don't own them already, picking up this new 4K six-movie steelbook collection is a great way to go about doing that. It does retail for around $150. I've seen it in stores now already on discounts, so this might be a good time to grab it or put it on your wish list for a nice Black Friday sale. And now, what I know you came here for, my thoughts on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse from Sony Pictures releasing. It stars the voices of Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Velez, Jake Johnson, Jason Schwartzman, Issa Rae, Karen Sony, Danielle Kaluuya, and Oscar Isaac. It is directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. It is written by Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and David Callahan, with music by Daniel Pemberton. It runs 140 minutes and is rated PG for sequences of animated action violence, some language, and thematic elements. What's it about? Miles Morales catapults across the multiverse, where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. When the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles must redefine what it means to be a hero. I just got out of the theater, so I am absolutely buzzing because this was a phenomenal experience. The crowd was loud, the crowd was hyped, the crowd was emotional, cheering, clapping, ooing, aahing. It was a, a wonderful, wonderful communal experience. This film follows on the heels of what already was an animated masterpiece in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I know that many people were worried, could they actually improve upon something so revolutionary when it came to the animation style and the storytelling that they were doing? The answer is yes, they absolutely can, at least in some ways. We'll talk about animation first. This features not just that singular kind of drawn look of Into the Spider-Verse, but a mixture of stylistic approaches that is just fantastic. Gwen Stacy's universe in particular really drew me in. It is projected to us in sort of watercolor. And there are times where the the colors change. So you'll see her in one frame and 
for example, her suit might show up as red. She'll move into another frame and the background colors will shift from one pastel to another and the color of her suit might look just slightly different. It is absolutely striking to the eyes. It is beautiful. It is emotive. It is so full of wonderful storytelling, how the background is presented to depict character mental states and such. It is just really, really staggering stuff. It's hard to put into words and describe exactly what it looks like, but I can tell you it will suck you in and it feels incredibly unique. And that is what makes this so awesome because every character has their own art style. One of the other new characters is Pavitar Prabhakar, Spider-Man India. And this version uh, is a Spider-Man that I was never familiar with. His city is sort of a combination of Mumbai and Manhattan. And everything in his world looks and feels like a representation of Indian culture. It's awesome. And it's so interestingly unique. It is not like anything in any other of the Spider-Verse universes that we visit. Obviously, Miles Morales still has that same unique penciled-in looking art style when we're in his world. And Miguel O'Hara, aka Spider-Man 2099, when we are in his world of Nueva York in the future, it's incredibly futuristic. It fits the setting so well. There's so much unique technology that we see and a very science fiction-like depiction of what a city might appear to be in a time 70 years in the future. So each and every world has that amazing visual cue to it that tells you we're somewhere else and lets you experience everything about the story in a slightly different way. And the way that the art styles shift between one another back and forth through this helps keep it very fresh across its nearly two and a half hours of a runtime. It never gets stale it is always, always eye-poppingly gorgeous. Character arcs. We get two major ones in this film, not just Miles, but also Gwen. They are really featured as practically dual protagonists, and I love that. Ultimately, their stories are going to converge. Their relationship and how it has developed in the time that they've been apart since the events of the first film where they are, what happens when they finally reunite, and the unfortunate things that end up coming between them and causing some frustration and struggles within their relationship. The two of them simultaneously have to deal with that, but they also have their own unique issues with their parents back at home that they are going through. Similar, but different, and something that they don't really talk about with each other at first. And so it's not a case where they're able to help each other get through these problems, at least in the beginning of the film. And Gwen in particular goes on a different arc from Miles, which is appropriate because she's an older character. It's hard to remember sometimes that Miles Morales is only 15, but the movie makes a good point of driving that home. He is still a kid. And that is a different type of 
experience for someone who has the responsibility of a Spider-Man than someone who has lived life for several more years than he has and seen more things or done the job for longer. And that's part of Miles's arc is him feeling like he's got everything under control and quickly learning that there's a lot of spider people out there that have been doing this longer than him and maybe he doesn't know everything. Maybe he needs to rely on others again like he did in the first film. There are so many Spider-Men, spider people in this movie. If you've ever read the comics about the Spider-Verse, you are going to have such an amazing time. If you've been reading the comic books and know about all the different spider people, you're going to have a phenomenal time. If you don't, I think you're still going to enjoy it just because there are dozens upon dozens upon dozens of different versions of this character. I would wager pretty much every single character version that's ever been created is in this movie, at least in a single frame somewhere. And the ways in which the storytellers are able to blend those in, they don't all get their time to shine. That would be impossible, but we get a lot of little fun nods to their personalities. And then there are also some very unexpected characters that are showcased with brief but fantastic cameos that had the crowd really going. Some of my favorite characters, of course, are the main ones. Hobie, aka Spider-Punk, Daniel Kaluuya, gets to actually keep his British accent for this. This character is awesome. One of uh, my friends, this is her favorite Spider-Person, and I can see why I was unfamiliar with him up until this film, but he's got this old school punk rock vibe it's resist the man fight the power with a total british attitude and he's just awesome in this role you've got oscar isaac who you know is always going to bring it his voice work here is wonderful he plays miguel o'hara aka spider-man 2099 he's this tortured leader of the spider society with literally the weight of every universe on his spider shoulders and you can feel that crushing down on him and it impacting his decision making, especially later in the film when things start to kind of go sideways. Andy Samberg is hilarious as Ben Riley. He plays the Scarlet Spider as a little bit of a jock and also kind of aloof and not quite as aware or smart as some of the other spiders may be. But Everyone loves Scarlet Spider, and you could tell that the crowd was really reacting every time you got any words out of Scarlet Spider's mouth. So loved Andy Samberg's work there. There are also some really fun nods to the Sony PlayStation video game series from Insomniac Games Studios. Loved that. Uh, we actually get to see a kid playing the game at one point. And then there are some characters from the game, some suits from the game that show up in different times in the spider people uh, universe just absolutely loved the way that they were able to weave those things in without them feeling like gross product placement, even though that's kind of what they are. The villain, the spot, I guess is what he's called is played by Jason Schwartzman. And I think he does a great job. He attaches just the right kind of whimsical nature to his performance to handle this character who was accidentally turned into the thing he is now, he's really struggling. He doesn't understand what he is anymore. 
He's discovering his power, and then he is slowly becoming more and more obsessed with revenge of Miles for Miles's role in the villain origin story. It's classic stuff, and it makes a lot of sense. It's also a little bit sci-fi, a little bit fantasy and out there, and maybe might be kind of hard for younger audiences to follow. But visually speaking, the spot looks super cool because he's this character who has all of these like black holes on his body and he can throw them out and use them as like teleporters, essentially like portal the video game. It's great. It really makes for some awesome action set pieces. And I like the way that his character was introduced and developed up to the point of where this movie ends. At least we'll see how they land the plane. It's always tough to do and whether or not he can amount to one of the greatest villains of all time, let's say. I hope so. I think that the potential is there. The film is just emotional. It is epic in scope. Uh, it is very heavy in its themes and way more than I expected it to be. It touches on friendship very deeply, on found family again, on parenting. There's a lot of parenting stuff going on here, on trusting each other. Then you end up having to deal with this deeper philosophical idea of whether or not fate should be tinkered with. I also got to throw some love at Mal's mom, Rio, in this film. As a character, she shines so much more than she did in the first. and She gets some phenomenal moments, whereas I think the first film was really pointed more towards Miles' relationship with his father. This one is more about Miles' relationship with his mom, and it just results in some beautiful scenes between the two of them. I had somebody ask me, if I didn't love the first movie, where will I probably fall on this one? They said they liked it. They just weren't over the moon for it in the way that other people were. This is a very different type of film from a story standpoint, because it, it is so much broader than what we got in the first movie. I actually think that you could potentially like it more, but I'd be willing to say more people might like it less if you weren't really in love with the first movie. I think that it's so much more and it gets so much more bombastic that if you thought the first movie was kind of bombastic and over the top, this one is just, you're not going to be on board with it at all. So it's hard to say, of course, what anybody is going to like or not like, but hopefully my descriptions of it will give you an idea of that. It's too early for me to personally say whether I prefer the first one or this, because hello, I just got done watching it literally an hour ago, and I really enjoyed the tightness of that first movie. The, the narrative was so perfectly constructed with not an ounce of fat on it, and then when it comes to Across the Spider-Verse, this is only part one of two. You know, this ends like Infinity War. That's what this is. The Infinity War of animated movies in pretty much every way. But it's a jaw-dropping achievement worthy of the highest praise. It is something we just haven't seen before. And this is a story that could only be told in this format as well as it is. So I'm so thankful that we are getting it. It is going to be an excruciating wait to get the finale of this trilogy, but it'll be worth it. I have no doubt in my mind, in my hopes 
are super high, but my expectations are just as high. This is a phenomenal film. You need to see it. It is going to be one of the year's best films. This will be in theaters on June the 2nd. See it in IMAX. See it with the biggest screen and the best sound and the best theater that you have available to you. You will not be sorry. I myself can't wait to get back and go see it again. I'm salivating at the thought of doing that and catching little details that I missed in this one because things move fast at times and you would catch something out of the corner of your eye and you'd be like, oh my gosh, was that? And you didn't have time to process. It's phenomenal. It's just an absolute work of art and it's a special, special movie. And I hope that you all check it out and let me know what you thought when you do. You can do that on social media because all of my social media links are in the show notes to each and every episode. So by all means, follow me, seek me out. Let's chat. Tell me what you thought. If you're enjoying the podcast, drop us a five-star review or a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those things really help us out and get us in front of more listeners. But most of all, just thank you for being here. Thanks for taking the time to listen to me, share with you what I thought about these films, this box set of Transformers uh, as well. And I hope I helped you out. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling good.